photography podcast from Unlock Apparel. My name is Mike Sim, one of the guys behind Unlock Apparel, and your ever monosyllabic host. That was really short for this, wasn't it? I nailed that. Sounds like I've done this before. Which I have, I'm not going to lie. About at least five times. And when you leave, you know, two, three, four, five, six weeks between podcasts, then you have a lot of time to reflect on how bad you are as a host. Anyway, uh, this week I interviewed the man behind the photo department, um, a YouTube channel, um, which if you haven't seen, I thoroughly recommend that you check it out. It's hosted by the man I spoke to, Mr. Christopher Stern. Chris is a lovely bloke. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. I, um, I first came across Chris through the YouTube photography deity, Kyle McDougall. Um, that statement will be galvanised throughout this conversation by the love fest that Chris and I have towards um, towards Kyle. Kyle aside, which um, it's not a world anyone wants to live in where there's no Kyle McDougall. I'm going to set the tone for this podcast actually early on by just not so subtly confessing my love for that bearded Canadian god. Um, yeah. <laughs> Kyle aside, uh, Chris's approach to to YouTube videos, I think, is it's very informal um, while being sort of candid and um, exclusive. You feel like you know you're sitting having a conversation with somebody about photography over a coffee table. Throughout this conversation, we talk about sort of expectation versus reality of shooting film. Um, young YouTubers, and by young, I mean anyone that isn't. 35, like myself, Chris, Uh, we also talk about shit tattoos, Um, mine really, not his, Uh, and I also potentially insult my uh, home country of Scotland, so um, if I did, I apologise profusely, Um, but we'll get over it, won't we, As as a nation, as a one, as an independent Scotland. Um, anyway, this is my podcast with Christopher Strong. Hope you enjoy. Oh, great. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. I mean, I'm just looking at your setup right now, which looks like really professional. I'm in a spare room, um, and I just had to take a bra off the wall. So, um, like... <laughs> This isn't professional at all. I, so I did this yesterday because of my video that's coming out today. This uh, it was an unboxing, so I needed two hands, but I don't have a mic stand for whatever reason. So this is a it's a really crappy lightweight light stand, and then this is like a friction arm made by Avenger, and then this is a this is a Manfrotto super clamp. So it's not even a real microphone setup. It's like, yeah, but you look. I was I was before I had uh, like my Yeti microphone and like Bose headphones on, um, and it was always all right, but. I just, one day I couldn't find the adapter for my laptop because I've got a MacBook Pro and because Apple hate you using anything that isn't Apple, you have to buy those ridiculous adapters. I couldn't find the adapter, so I just used these and then I found the audio quality was actually just as good. Yeah, you sound great. Um, I'm just wanted to make sure on my end everything sounded okay. Well, uh, yeah. I went overboard. I mean, you look tremendous. (laughs) Mm. So where, where are you actually, like, you're in L.A.? Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles, yeah. But where are you from? I'm from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. So I actually grew up, you know, 15 minutes from San Francisco my entire life. Um, In the last 12 years, I was in Oakland, which is right across the Bay Bridge from San Francisco. Um, Great place, really diverse, uh, a lot of uh, creative community. But over the past couple of years, it's been really gentrified by the tech community. So all that art and creativity kind of like it's being pushed out. So oh, I really? up here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's actually quite a good place to just start talking now. I can, I can just start from that moment there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't realize that. I thought it was still quite a sort of creative, artsy hub down there. It is in a way, and it always will be, but it's just so expensive to live there. It's really difficult for anybody who makes their career, uh, you know, out of an artistic endeavor. It's just hard to to survive out there. I mean, I have friends who are paying... for a one bedroom, like studio, like not even a really nice place, like a studio. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's if you could find it, which good luck. Yeah. Wow. 
Is LA not kind of the similar, kind of similar? Um, LA is massive and there's so many different areas to LA. Like, um, I used to think this too, but everyone kind of thinks of LA as like a monolith, like that everything in LA is really kind of similar. And it's just like, mm. you have downtown LA and then you have Beverly Hills and then you have the beach and then that's pretty much it. But in reality, um, it's really spread out. There's a lot of different neighborhoods. There's a lot of uh, cultural neighborhoods. Mm. Um, and yeah, you can, you can find a place out here relatively inexpensively. I got very lucky because this is a place that my friend is renting. I'm subletting from her because she just bought a house. Okay. Um, so I kind of like got grandfathered into this place, which is really, really, really lucky. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have left the Bay Area for places like Los Angeles or New York because strangely enough, compared to San Francisco, New York even seems like doable, which is really crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's funny. I mean, like here, it's it's strange in that, like, um, so Oxford, where I live now, is like the most expensive place you can live in the UK, pretty much. Mm. I was I was in Cambridge before that, and it's mm-hmm. about the second most expensive place you can live in the UK. But I'm from Scotland, and even up in like Edinburgh, house prices are a fraction of what they are here. Like, you could buy, I mean, you could buy a mansion for the price that you could buy a two bed in in oxford up in so Scotland. why don't you why why won't you why wouldn't you live in edinburgh what's the draw to living in oxford the thing about i'm about to isolate my entire nation here by saying this um <laughs> that scotland is um for for the kind of work that i do or try to do scotland doesn't offer it as much as england does i suppose yeah. being either being near london things like that it just it's just not the same um yeah. I think that's the, the polite way of putting it. Um, and I, I think that, that, that Scotland, um, depends on where you are, it's just, it's a very different creative atmosphere. Yeah. I, I find they're incredibly, um, they're incredibly like uh, open to other cultures and embracing anybody and anything. But I just find that to get a step up, it's not the place to be. Yeah, I feel, I feel like that's kind of similar to how it is in San Francisco right now. Um, because you know that's that place is still such a creative hub. It's just you know very unfriendly to artists right now, as far as like being able to afford to live there, and um, as even jobs. Jobs are very difficult to come across out there in the creative industry. Did you start off? Uh, I mean, when did you get into photography? Um, do you want the origin story, or do you want like the professional story? No origin. Let's go. You know, let's go. Deep. Okay. So. Uh, I, my parents had divorced and I moved with my mom to a city called Hayward. Um, and I had to start my sophomore year of, of high school in um, a new school. And I came in a little bit late. And so I had to come in and pick an elective course for my sophomore year of high school. And I wasn't sure what to choose. There's like only a couple left. And one of them was black and white photography. And I chose that because I figured, oh, I'll just, you know, screw around and have fun in this class. And, uh, not a big deal not a commitment you know um i'm 14 at this point right so i was just about to say because the, the, the schooling system obviously makes no sense to me like the english schooling system makes no sense to me so american ones like completely gone oh yeah so so sophomore year yeah so that's like 10th grade um so i'm there and uh the first week our teacher our professor or teacher whatever he gives us each a role of triax um, because he's he was a photojournalist and he he liked HP five but he said black and white is tri X is what yeah, you yeah. shoot it's really good um, he said okay so this week you're gonna go get a camera you're gonna expose this roll of film uh, take pictures of whatever you want and then next week we're gonna develop it and make a print of your favorite picture and so I'm like okay sure. cool so my stepdad took me and got me a Canon AE one um, I loaded up the film. It was my first film camera. I'd never done this before. I just took a bunch of pictures of my friends, trees, cars, cats, whatever it was around. Um, and then the next week on that Monday, we went into the dark room and developed the film. And I pulled the film up the reel and it's like, wow, there's pictures on this. That's crazy. And then we put them on the enlarger or on the light table and we look at them with a loop, uh, figure out which picture we want to print. And so I picked a picture of my friend Tom and uh, stick it in the enlarger, make some test prints, whatever, to make sure that the, you know, that it's the right uh, exposure. And then when I get my exposure, I put the, the paper into the development and I just start rocking the tray back and forth to develop. And the photograph of Tom just 
magically appears on this paper. And I was like, oh my God, this is magic. <laughs> I was blown away. I was like, this is what people mean when they say magic. It was, it, it made me, it made no sense to me. It made me feel like I had discovered something that no one had ever seen before. <laughs> and so from that day forward, I had a camera on me everywhere I went. Um, but this is still, you know, I'm super young. I had no idea people could like do this as a job. Like I knew people were photographers by trade, but like I didn't know what that meant because I just had started out with photography. So the years go by and I work in all sorts of industries. I worked in the coffee industry for a long time. Um, What's your photographer? I, I, I was a barista for years. We... <laughs> yeah, it's like the, you can't get away from that stigma. Like if you're a barista, yeah. you're a photographer. If you're a photographer, you probably were a barista at some point. Um, right. And uh, I eventually worked in other areas in the coffee industry. I was doing training. I was doing, you know, helping out with uh, basically going around training different cafes on how to roast, or not roast, I'm sorry, how to brew coffee properly. Because strangely enough, it's not a common knowledge, I guess, in the industry. No, I, but, um, I, I did something similar as well. Like, yeah, I yeah, did a bit of training. Which I loved. I thought it was really fun. But then, you know, I really wanted to do something else. Um, and then I was like, you know, I'm going to try this photography thing, <laughs> which was a crazy idea. Um, and it was, it's been really slow going for the first couple of years. Um, and that was, I think, seven years ago, maybe, or six. Okay. Um, just freelancing. Um, and then I ended up working for a couple different companies in-house as a photographer. So I worked for Levi Strauss. I worked for Everlane. Oh, nice. Um, I did um, some work for the North Face, um, stuff like that, a lot of like e-com and, and on-figure modeling stuff. And then, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing ever since. <laughs> so I that's guess great. 14. So 14 would be the year, the age I got into photography and it's been, I'm 34 now, so yeah, quite a while, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, like, it's great to be getting in, getting in the kind of work you've been doing there like that long like that's some people's dream you know it is yeah it's it's i'm incredibly lucky to be able to find work doing this because it's not really it's it is work but it's not really work it's it's, yeah. it's so much fun yeah so all your commercial work will be digital though most of it yeah um which is funny because you know i shot only film for so long and then i realized like oh i should probably shoot some digital <laughs> uh, because it. clients want it you know so um yeah i do a lot of digital i have a i don't know if you can see it over there that's my xt3 yeah. i use yeah. that for my um for video and for all of my uh commercial work that calls for it and i do a lot of um i do some film for commercial work too but it's just um clients are not client. interested because they want to they want to see the product there and then yeah, they want to see it on the screen right there. But sometimes clients are really in, in, into that look, and it's a yeah. very niche. It's a very niche client that wants it. But I have it all the time, so it's it's. I'm pretty blessed in that way too. It's nice to find clients who like actually care about film. I know. I mean, I when you're talking about the XT3, like I've been thinking about going swapping out my DSLR um, for mirrorless. Mm -hmm. um, everyone seems to be doing it. Seems to be the way to go. I uh, mean, for me, it seems like the biggest like benefit is going to be weight it's a mm. smaller camera so it's, it's a smaller system but also um other than that it's just the industry is moving that way but i don't yeah. think anyone needs to i mean the only reason i got the fuji in the first place was because the x pro 2 which was one of my first cameras um that camera just looks incredible it's like a leica but but like yeah I, I, like futuristic. I was that's what I was going to get. It was an expert too, actually, just to introduce myself into it. I, I mean, I think that any of the Fuji mirrorless cameras, any mirrorless cameras that are currently on the market are all, they're all incredible and they're, they're very capable. And, you know, I, I love, I think that they're, they're such great cameras, but my advice would be just whatever camera makes you want to pick it up and shoot photos with it. Like that's what you should get. Yeah. So, yeah, if you think an expert two is going to do it for you, I mean, that's exactly the same thought I had. And then when I got it in my hands, I was just like, oh my God, this is like the pinnacle of camera technology. Yeah. yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? As you go on in photography, as you, as you learn more about being a photographer and who you are as a photographer, how little the aesthetic of your gear, the size of it 
is so lit like of so little importance like when i was young when i was starting to get into photography like if i saw somebody with like a huge dslr body with like a 24 70 with a lens hood on it i'd be like that's what i need to look like a photographer yeah exactly <laughs> like i need that sort of voyeuristic in the bushes with a telephoto lens kind of look whereas mm -hmm. As you go on your journey in photography, you realize that actually it's the people with like, you know, it's the guys with the Leicas, with the little cameras, and all the stuff around, they're like, that's the photographer, that's who I want to look like. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I had that same feeling where it's like, yeah, I want to be that guy with the huge camera that everyone sees and knows like, oh, that guy's a professional. But in the reality, totally. it's way more fun to be sneaky and not necessarily sneaky that I'm like taking things <laughs> that pulled sounds, up them knowing. Yeah, it sounds so voyeuristic <laughs> and wrong. But kind of like almost like it's like a spy thing where you like have a camera on you but like it's small so no one really notices it and yeah. you can like take a little scene, take a little picture and like no one's really the wiser. Because when you have like a huge camera like that and I've done that before, taking my big camera out with a big lens on it, you look, I feel like a, a tourist. I look, I feel like, like oh, a Oh yeah, I hate <laughs> it. I hate it. Yeah. I, I, li I lived before I moved we moved here we lived in venice in italy for a year oh, wow. um and i would uh if, if, if i never took my digital camera out ever i took out my um, olympus om1 mm -hmm. because obviously venice is just flooded with tourists mm -hmm. and as much as i didn't look venetian obviously uh <laughs> i uh i felt like such a tourist if i ever brought my digital camera it's a d800 with a huge but i usually just have the 24 70 lines on it yeah and that's been my only issue my only issue with going mirrorless is that the, the uh, zoom lenses of which I'd only ever get like a 2470 equivalent mm -hmm. is that they don't seem to be particularly sharp around the edges that could just be me being it wrong. depends I, on what you get I think that there are some so the the cool thing about Fuji their kit lens the 18 to 55 which is a rough 24 to 70 equivalent I think it's like 24 mm -hmm. to 80 almost um that thing is like that comes on kits. It's like a, it's like the kit lens, but it's made of metal and it's extremely sharp. I've used it on um, commercial projects before where I just didn't want to deal with hiring, you know, like a rental. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly sharp. They kind of like went overboard on that lens, but then they were like, well, this is the kit lens, so we got to sell it as such. Um, but then they also have the 16 to 55, which is um, their more professional version of that mm. lens, I guess. And that thing you can't find a soft edge on it anywhere. Um, okay. I think it's just, you got to do a little bit of research and find out what's good. I think nowadays, even like with the, the Canon, like the RF lenses, like those lenses are incredibly sharp and yeah. have incredible rendering. Um, they're also very expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. And I tend to throw it like, you know, even just working in film is it's, uh, it's not the cheapest hobby in the world. So no, <laughs> but what, um, to go slightly off topic here what then got you into doing your youtube channel because that's like mm. to me that's a hell of a commitment like oh, recording yeah. a podcast is one thing but like mm. you know making a youtube channel is is yeah it's heavy going yeah it's tough it's 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 really fun so what what really happened initially was um there's a friend of mine her name's christine and she has a youtube channel that's just her name um, and she does beauty lifestyle and like some photography stuff. And mm -hmm. I was, I saw her profile on Instagram and she had a story where she was, um, walking around with an Olympus stylus infinity camera. And I have the same one. It was my mom's when I was growing up. And so I responded to her. I was like, Oh, Hey, I have that same camera. That's so cool. And she was like, what really? I don't ever see anybody with this specific camera. That's rad. And so we were like chatting. Um, and I was like, oh, you're in Los Angeles. I'm actually going to be in LA for work. And this was, I think, 2016. And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, you should stop by and let me interview you for my YouTube channel. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so I went by and she interviewed me on my favorite cameras. Um, and after we finished filming, she was like, oh, you have like a really natural presence in front of the camera. You should start your own YouTube channel. And I was like, eh, there's plenty of people out there with YouTube channels. I don't need to make a YouTube channel. She's like, no, I think you'd be like really cool because the way you talk about cameras. I was like, okay, maybe I'll think about it. And then so I just made a video with a friend of mine, the first one, and uh, it, it took off. Uh, a lot of people really resonated with it. Um, and so I just kept doing it. Um, it wasn't something that like I really put a lot of thought into. I just thought it would be kind of fun to talk about cameras mm -hmm. and maybe people would like it. But uh, the more I make videos and the more that people engage with me and talk to me about 
um, my videos or photography in general through my videos. Um, it just motivates me to want to do more. Um, I have people that will hit me up all the time and be like, oh, this video was like, I was literally looking for this exact thing and I found your video and it helped me make a decision. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Or I'll have someone, you know, inter like they'll message me and say something like, yeah, I was going to like give up on this thing, but then you made this video and, it, and I decided to keep going and I'm so glad I did. And it's like, yes, that's, that's yeah. what I want. Um, and then it just kind of became like kind of educational, but kind of entertainment. It's it. I want to like, help people learn things, but I'm also like goofy and like want to make people laugh. So it's like kind of half and half. I suppose it, it keeps you, um, it keeps you on your toes as well with photography. It keeps you interested in it, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, a lot you're of people, having, sorry, go ahead. You're always having to find new things to, to put in the channel. So therefore you're always having to be immersed in the world of photography probably more than you naturally would be. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like I'm not a super big gearhead. Like I really like, digital or I'm sorry, I like film cameras, like old film cameras are all really fascinating. I like some, some digital cameras, but for the most part, I don't keep up with all the newest phone, uh, camera technology. Like for instance, I know Sony's coming out with like a new camera. That's like the best camera ever. Apparently I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I am, it I am so just so you know, I am like the worst of this stuff. Like I am like not a gearhead in the slightest. Yeah. Like Kyle regrets clearly so much me having his mobile number <laughs> do you text him all the time asking him questions oh just ridiculous questions like questions where like i i i like my pen test six seven i've had it for like three years yeah and uh, i texted him yesterday to be like am i right in thinking that through the view like the prison viewfinder you don't see the whole image you see a cropped image because i was just looking at the top of the prism percent i think yeah and he was like yeah it's like 90 percent of coverage and i was like cool I had that for three years that's embarrassing like just <laughs> I was like, I just take pictures. Like I, I'm, I'm the worst when it comes to this stuff. Like, but see, that's, that's a testament. Like you've had that camera for three years, but like, did you need to know that it was 90% coverage? Like not necessarily, it didn't do anything. No, I don't care. I don't yeah, care. It doesn't it's matter. But you, cause you still made great images regardless, right? Yeah. But then I get people as well. Like I, because people know I'm a photographer, like friends of mine, they'll get in touch with me and like, they'll have like, they'll, they'll have bought a digital camera and they'll mm -hmm. phone me and they'll be like, what does this do? What does that do? What does that do? Like, I've got no idea, man. Like, literally no idea. Yeah. Like, I'm a, I'm a real sort of, you know, aperture, ISO, shutter speed kind of guy. Like, anything else, mm -hmm. it's fine. Or they'll ask about like, metering on the digital camera, and I'm like, eh, don't really worry about it. Like, just, you know, just take a picture, look at the back, and dial it in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I mean, honestly, that's, when I'm shooting digital, that's pretty much all I do. I don't, like, fuss with the metering in the camera i'm just looking at the, i'm taking pictures i'm looking at it i'm like okay are my highlights blown out no okay we're good yeah, like that's exactly pretty much it exactly yeah. and then i think things can become over complicated you can start to over complicate things in your mind like when i first started getting back into shooting film and then i'd watch like a youtube channel or something or i'd do something really stupid like reading an ansel adams book <laughs> and then be like this sounds so insanely complicated and then you realize oh just like if I'm using color film, meter for the shadows and it'll take, you know, four or five stops of highlights before like anything goes out, like yep. simplify it. Mm -hmm. That's pretty and much. That's, yeah. That's kind of it really. Like if you want yeah. shadow detail, meter for the shadows. There you go. <laughs> like, Done. Pretty much. Not, and I mean, people always ask me too, like, how do you meter for digital or how do you meter for film? And it's like, you know what? Film, go crazy really uh digital just make sure your highlights are not blown out and you're set like get to yeah. that edge where the highlights are like they're yeah. bright but don't blow them out and you're good they're uh, polar opposites and, always like always yeah. underexposed for digital because then you've got you'll pull the detail through shooting raw it's not a problem yeah mm -hmm. and then overexposed for film so you don't have murky shadows exactly and then um with slide film people forget slide film treat it like digital just yeah meter for the highlights and you'll be, you'll, you should be fine. Um, but, uh, yeah. And it's funny cause like there's so many technical little tiny things with photography that people will ask me about that I'll know something about, or I can help them with kind of, but in the end it's like funny cause like, I don't even worry about that stuff. So you shouldn't worry yeah, about it. Like totally. for, for me, it's like, what's important, the subject, the composition, the light, and then that's pretty much it. And so I think, I suppose having the base knowledge to be able to know what to disregard mm -hmm. helps. That's exactly, like, I was, yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Yeah. Once you, once you know that, like, I can look at something like that, I don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if, if I didn't know to not care, 
then I'd be like all over the internet trying to figure out what to do. It was like the first yeah. time I used strobe lighting and like and stuff like that. Like I would read forums and I'd read all these things about how to use strobes. And I'd be like, if I'm shooting on a digital camera, take a picture, see how it looks, move mm-hmm. the light. <laughs> exactly. That's that's literally that's how they did it back in the old days. They just used peel apart Polaroid film to do yeah. it. But now that we have digital, we can do it with a digital camera. It's the same exact thing. Yeah, it can, so, it can be so daunting. And then when you realize mm-hmm. it's not daunting, it's actually just fun, and it's not going to cost you anything. It's yeah, just- and that's the that's the confidence you kind of get of being able to, you know, having shot film since I was fourteen. Like I never put a roll of film in a camera and go like, oh, I'm nervous. Like I know what's no. going to happen if I do whatever thing and it's 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 funny I'll see like these younger photographers out there who are like I don't know teaching workshops online or doing this and that and it's just like man you've been doing it for so little time and you haven't even learned half of what you need to well, learn yet <laughs> you have just jumped the gun on the question in here because I've been trying oh, to no. ease us in I've been trying to ease us into this yeah um, it's not really a question it's more about two considerably older guys moaning about younger people um mm. I'm not going to moan about them, though, because that's rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there's a, there's a clear, like, obvious resurgence in film. Like, yeah. that's, that's not, that, you know, you can look at the <clears throat> price of any analog equipment you want to buy on eBay or even the price of film now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine just texted me yesterday to say that I'd left five rolls of um, uh, uh, Fuji Pro 400H at his mm-hmm. house so i've just realized i've got five more rolls so i'm really excited i might put them on That's ebay about, like a, yeah it's about 500 dollars worth of film <laughs> <laughs> um but i think one of the problems with this now is this growing thing is that there's it's it's all over um instagram it's all over like youtube and i think that guys like you and kyle i think are great because uh obviously you're my age and it's not like a super like overtly hip YouTube channel where I'm sort of drawn in. It's about, it's about the product. It's about film. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, the, the thing that it's about. And I think that what happens with the slightly younger generation of YouTubers, shall I say, is that they're creating an expectation over the reality of shooting film. Sometimes I think you get, you see these images and you're like, this is what will happen if I shoot film. Right. It's, it's like when people before you, it's like when people think, with a digital camera, the first question is like, what kind of camera do you use? And it's like, a good camera will only take a good, a good camera will take bad photos too. Like, mm-hmm. in film, you can make terrible photos on film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I it, obviously you get a rendering and a look, but you still need a, an understanding of, one, often how heavily some of these photos are edited. Mm-hmm. Like, beyond belief. Like I look at some of those 35 millimeter images from certain photographers, no names mentioned. And, uh, and it, I'm like, this is being edited to within a pixel of its life. <laughs> right. And I mean, I think that's where someone like Kyle McDougall, I think is doing such a service to the community and to people who are beginners because he straight up says like, this is how I edit my film and this yeah. is how I get the look I want. And he just shows you exactly what he does in Lightroom, which I think is something that a lot of photographers don't do. People don't want to give up their secret sauce. They don't want to like give away their secrets. Um, but there's no secret. It's just like having the knowledge and experience to know what it takes to make a photo successful from start to finish. Yeah. And I think that people like Kyle understand that he's not saving himself anything by keeping that to himself. He's actually helping the community by releasing that information and showing people like, Hey, if you want your images to look the way you look, you got to take it into post and you got to get an experiment and try things. Um, And I think that that's where a lot of these younger photographers don't realize that they need to kind of like be, have like a more holistic approach when it comes to, you know, showing other people film photography. Um, I'm really excited and happy that that film has had this resurgence. It means that there's going to be more film stocks that might come back or might come out that are new. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that film photography is here to stay. Um, but the one thing that kind of bothers me is that there are, you know, younger photographers who have only like one or two years of experience who are teaching and it's like, wow, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you don't have, you yeah. don't have that breadth of experience of like failing really hard, trying again, being good, but then failing again, like you have to go through so much and like having that experience to be confident, to know, like you said earlier, knowing what to not care about, what knowing what's important so you can simplify, um, that's invaluable. And you can't, you can't get that with only a couple of years of experience. And I mean, 
I understand why it's happening because these younger kids are super um, uh, relatable. Other people their age relate to them and want to see what they're doing. They're cool. Um, they make cool photos, but um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, is this doing a service or is this just setting people up for failure? It might not be that dramatic, but I don't know. I, yeah. I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to be very, very, very clear that we are two exceptionally cool people. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, obviously. It's it's not about not being cool because, I mean, I'm wearing a hoodie indoors right now. So you don't get much cooler than that. And I got bed head. I literally just rolled out of bed. Uh, you've, got, you've got cool glasses on. I'm wearing okay. a beanie as well inside. We're, we're tragically hip, you could say. You could say that. I wouldn't say that, but you could say that. I mean, I've got a tattoo of a lamppost on my arm, so... I don't have that. No, but you do have a... What is it, a key? I have a key, and yeah. I have a trumpet, and I have... I have a moon. Nice. And I have a, a black cat. Right. I got some, I got some stuff. I've got... <laughs> I've got... Um, I've got... Uh, this is a lamppost here. That's rad. Uh, yeah, and they've got... Uh, is that a, a plague doctor? It's a plague yeah. doctor, yeah. There's a ship's nice. wheel with a with a with a pocket watch for a center. It's very um, steampunk, which I don't get because I I hate steampunk. Um, that's what I would. That's what I would imagine. Like your tattoos are what I would imagine would be on someone from the UK. Like your tattoos are very <laughs> UK. I feel, <laughs> and I don't know how to qualify that beyond saying that, so I won't say anything else. That's fine. That's fine. I'll I'll accept that for what it is in whatever context you meant it. Uh, it's a compliment. It's a compliment, cool. That's fine. Yeah, for Good. sure, for sure. Good. Oh, I'd be <laughs> terminating this interview immediately. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah, hate this guy. Um, but like, I think that the whole, I think the expectation against reality thing really bothers me in a way just because I think it, you get people going out and investing money in a camera and invest in money in film stock or it'll be a straight away like you know what film stock do you use and it's like mm -hmm. if you're starting off one either get a point and shoot and go and buy some like you know even kodak, kodak gold is a great film like it's a good film oh yeah but like mm -hmm. you get guys going out and they're like buying you know a yashica t4 and some like porsche 400 and it's mm -hmm. like that's fine you know whatever but like to me that devalues photography in a way yeah, I mean, it gives people this expectation that they have to have specific things in order to be good. And that's patently wrong. Um, Portra is not going to make you good, nor is it the best film stock by any means. It's a film stock and it does particularly mm. look good, but you have to know what you're doing to make it look good. Um, in that sense, all film is the same way because, you know, I was shooting my first roll of Lomo 400 um, on, on 120 the other day. And I developed it and I tweaked it in post to make it look how I wanted. And it was very easy to tweak and it was very easy to kind of land where I wanted. And it's a beautiful, beautiful film, but like people don't regard it as such because it's no. cheaper and it's made by Lomography. So it's, it's, it can't be as good as Portra, but like Portra is just, it's just a trademark. It's nothing else. It's just a, yeah. an emulsion on a backing, you know, and it, it's, it's a good film, but it's also like, you know, if you look at what happened with Kylie Jenner, like she used the T3 or the, T, the Contax T2 and everyone went out yeah. and bought one because they thought like that's how you'd be a good photographer is because yeah. Contax T2. But in reality, that's just a, it's a point shoot. It makes cool images, I guess. But is it yeah. worth almost a grand? Like, no, it's not. You can't even no. repair them anymore. <laughs> I've got, I've got a Yashica T4 and like I've got yeah. one. I think, you know, uh, what's his name? Gunnar Stahl, that young like hip hop photographer. He's got one. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, it's a great camera, great lens, does mm -hmm. the job, and I love having it, and I love cutting about with it. But like, is it worth five hundred pounds? No, I mean, it, well, actually, it's got a Zeiss lens. It's worth something, but it's not worth five hundred quid. It's just kind of what you will pay for. But it's it's the thing. The problem is like taking these these tools and elevating them to this level where people actually think like, I'm not going to be a good photographer unless I have this camera, and yeah. it's it, it's it's so reductive because you can take anything and people say this all the time. Like you can make good art with any camera. And it's, it's really true. I mean, like my whole, let's see for like 10 years, the only camera I had was a Canon AE one. It's the only camera I had with one lens. And I mean, I wasn't doing groundbreaking work, but I cut my teeth on every type of work that I wanted to do on that camera. Yeah. And I still have it. It's over there and it's, it yeah. still works and it's still a really good camera. And sometimes I'll shoot it because it, it works. There's nothing wrong with it. 
But uh, I, I, I was joking with a friend a couple of days ago that like, watch a couple of years, the Canon AE-1 is going to jump up in price because it's going to be like the vintage, like <laughs> like the original OG or whatever. And like, it's going to jump up in price. But totally. yeah, I just, I think it's just like a lot of people, I think and a lot of people are doing a good job, like Kyle, like Dougal, um, be kind of being like the elder statesmen who are like reminding people like, hey, you can get this best camera if you want, and it's not going to make you better. Here are the skills. Here are the things you need to know that will actually help you. Yeah. And as long as we have people like that, um, I think I think everything's going to be okay because people will start to realize, oh, I followed this young photographer's advice, or I followed this one YouTuber's advice, and and did this thing, but it didn't make me a good photographer. What the hell happened? Yeah. But then they'll come across like Kyle McDougall, and they'll be like, wow, this guy is a genius, and. Uh, I can slow down and take a different approach and look, my results are better. And, and I think yeah. that, I think, I someone, think who's yeah. willing to, someone who's willing to take the time to do simple things like, yeah, exposure tests on film, like that is, is good. That's knowledgeable. That helps. Watching when I found those, bit. yeah, when I found those, those videos, when he was doing the exposure tests, I was like, this is genius. Why haven't yeah. I thought of this? Like yeah. what a brilliant thing to do. Yeah. The world does not need another video of, Here's an RZ67, here's a Pentax 67. We're gonna go and shoot some portraits. Here <laughs> is some lo-fi hip hop. Enjoy. It's like uh, That's my I next know. video. Oh, I'm so sorry. Really <laughs> I'm <good>. kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't have an RZ. <laughs> no, I don't have an RZ and I don't really want one. Um do you have uh, extension tubes for your do you have a six seven? You still do Pentax? No, I don't. I had three, but I let them all go yeah, because they were they were they all needed to be repaired at one point. Um, and they're very expensive to repair and I love them, but, um, yeah. I was doing a lot more studio work at the time and they're not good for studio because they no, have a really slow shutter speed. One yeah. thirtieth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't really have a chance to use them much. And so I just, I, and that's kind of the way I approach cameras too, is if there's a camera that I have that I'm not using a lot that has value, um, I have no problem shuffling out of my collection to be used by someone else so that I can like get something that I'll use. Um, yeah. When is this coming out? Do you know? Uh, next week. Okay. So my next video, which is coming out tomorrow on, or today actually in 20 minutes, uh, I talk about how I sold my Fuji X-Pro2 because I wasn't really using it. Um, I love that camera. It's my favorite camera, but I thought it'd be good to pass along to someone else and leverage the value of that camera in order to purchase another camera that I thought would mm -hmm. be um, more useful to the work that I'm doing. And I ended up buying a Pentax 645N, which was my favorite uh, 645 camera that I had a couple years ago. And I sold and I regretted it. And because I'm doing some more lifestyle and editorial style work, I thought that mm -hmm. that kind of like form factor of a camera would be much better for what I'm doing. You can actually see it right there. I can. Um, and uh, that was simply just because like, I still love the X-Pro2. I don't want to get rid of the X-Pro2, but it became this thing where it's like, you know what? It's sitting on the shelf. It's not getting used. Someone could, you know, really benefit from this camera and yeah. I could really benefit from this other camera in order to justify it. Sell the X-Pro2, use that money, get a Pentax and you know, you're good. It makes yeah. more sense that way to me. Yeah. You know? I, I think that's the thing as well is having the confidence to know that is, is huge. That it all ties back into this sort of coveting gear because you think that's going to do the right thing as opposed to knowing who you are as a photographer and what right. gear works for you. Like, mm -hmm. I think I've said this in almost every one of these podcasts. I had a Leica M6 and sold it within a, less than a month because I hated it. Oh, wow, really? I, I hated it and I bought my Pentax 6.7 with that. I, I've got the Olympus OM1 and, and I love that as a 35mm camera and I think put Tri-X through that and put it through a Leica M6 and I don't really see much of a difference like not enough that i'd be like i'm not going to spend you know nowadays what 1500 bucks on the body alone yeah for like m6 yeah and i mean i've always thought like those were cool and then like maybe one day i'd like to own one but if i was going to own a like it's going to be like an m3 like the cheapest one you can get totally um because i have my workhorse i have a nikon f2 that camera i've done some of my favorite work on that camera and the experience of using that camera, I can't imagine the experience of using a Leica is going to be better, or I'd like it more. No, I'm it was sure the experience. It's... It was the experience that put me off. Actually, it was the experience oh, of using it that put me off. I was just like, mm. all the things that are what make people buy a Leica—the the quietness, the discreet nature of it all—were the things I didn't like. 
interesting. I found, I found the, the the process of taking a picture with it was just so underwhelming. Hmm. Um, wow. that That's I was the first like, time I've heard someone say that about a Leica. Dude, it really was. It, holding it was beautiful. Like, and I was like, I could not wait to take pictures with it. But then I, I did, and I was just a bit like, eh. Like, I just wasn't that, that fussed. And then, I think that happens with cameras that get hyped up so much. You have this expectation it's going to be like the holy grail, and then you actually use it, and you're like, yeah, it's a camera. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's a camera. And then, like, I mean, I suppose I didn't have a Leica lens for it because I, I'm not a millionaire. Um, so I, uh, I didn't have one. Um, but then I bought the 645, uh, the 6.7, and, like, I will never sell that camera. It's just mm. beautiful. But I'm going to buy, I don't have them, but I'm going to get extension tubes for them just so I can do. Macro? Bit well, yeah, a bit closer up with portraits. Because that's oh, the problem yeah, with yeah. The, the focusing distance is like a meter, I think, mm -hmm. which is not, not ideal. Yeah, I tend to do my portraiture that I end up doing, which I don't do a ton of. Um, I really like environmental portraiture. So, because I, I, I like to do a more editorial style of shooting in general. Mm. So I was okay with, you know, having to stand back a whole bunch, but um, uh, yeah, with the RB67, which is my like main camera, that thing's got the bellows. So you can, you can focus up like right up to someone's eyeball, yeah. which is really nice, but- um, You've got the RB, not the RZ. Yeah, so I've had RBs for years. That was my first medium format camera. And the first camera that I bought that was like professional. Um, I think I got my first one in like 2013. 2014 um and yeah i had been tempted by the rz the rz because mm. you know all the cool photographers use them but they're just there's nothing on that camera that has made me think it's better other than the fact that you can just cock it once and that'll cock the back and the shutter mm. uh, with the rsb you have to cock the back separately but like that's never been a hindrance because it's like one movement. I just, I'm so used to it. Has the um, RB got the, got the rotating back to it? Yeah, that's what the RB stands for. Um, ah, that's the RZ right. carried it over as well. I'm just gonna, it to the RZ. just gonna pretend I didn't see that. <laughs> Not a lot of people know. People ask me all the time what the RB stands for. I'm like, oh, it stands for rotating back. And they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. But like, yeah. it's not called the Mamiya rotating back camera. It's the RB67. It's hard to, you know, you wouldn't know. But um, didn't. Yeah, but uh, that camera's great. I use that for a lot of my professional work because the six seven um, aspect ratio is really really nice. Um, yeah, it's totally. good for like magazines and it's good for web pages and stuff. So I use that a lot. They go for a bit cheaper than the RZs as well, don't they? Do they? Yeah, about five hundred dollars cheaper. They're going up really? in price. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So usually I used to be able to buy a kit for like four hundred American, which is not expensive at all for a kit that this is this capable it's really with cheap. the lens with a lens with a back and with the waist level viewfinder yeah um, do you use the waist level most of the time yeah i have a metered prism that i don't use the meter on all that often but um it's just it's beautiful looking mm. through it but it's heavy it's like another i don't know how much it's just very very heavy it's a big metal and glass thing so it's, it's expensive and heavy so um I use the waist level viewfinder quite a bit, um, but they're going up in price. I just saw a couple of them. Someone's trying to sell a kit. It's a, admittedly a nice kit for like 700, <laughs> which is Dollars. quite the jump. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, RZs go anywhere from like a thousand to 2000, yeah. depending on which model and the, you know, the, how nice the condition is or whatever. Do you ever shoot large format? I shot four by five once which is like baby large format <laughs> um, yeah. with a, a crown graphic that my friend who owns a film camera shop in San Francisco has. And he took me and my friends out and we went out and shot some large format and it was really fun. Uh, but that's my next kind of like pioneer of exploring with film. Cause I haven't really gone into that, that world because it seems, it seems a little bit unobtainable. It seems really expensive and it seems like a, a lot of work. Um, but it is something that I'm really interested in checking out. But I, I haven't done it about, yet. Yeah, I think it works out roughly about five bucks a sheet. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's before processing or anything. Yeah. Um, to go back to Kyle, since this is also the the it's the Chris and Mike feature in Kyle McDougall podcast. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure he'll be uh, happy to hear that. <laughs> he, uh, I messaged him the other day about an Intrepid, and he's selling his four by five. He thinks. 
So, oh wow, really? Yeah, but to get another one to get a better one. Oh okay. okay. But I, I've I've um, put dibs on the on the Intrepid. Nice. I didn't think he would sell that one. I, he he had some high praise for that camera. Um, I wonder what he's gonna gonna move to. That's interesting. I just like um, the idea of just the, the slow pro. You know, like I found over time that like I I much prefer the slower process of shooting than mm -hmm. than like snapshot stuff. I find that mm -hmm. if I take snapshots, I take them for the sake of trying to take a snapshot as opposed to like like being really into like just shooting a photo. Yeah. Um, like I I like to take my time much more. Yeah. That's kind of how I am, and that's that's kind of why I I kind of gravitate towards more editorial photography because I like to find a scene and like kind of kind of take my time to see what works the best and and you know position someone right or you know and then working in a studio uh, that's all it is is like taking your time and like making sure everything's perfect before you hit the shutter and, and get the shot um, so that's kind of what interested me in the four by five or even bigger medium or not medium for a large format um was that you have to take your time anyway so yeah um yeah a friend of mine does um as it tin types oh really or, yeah and he they're incredible and he has a oh, whole thing as to, he does like pop-ups where he brings like a big tent that he like does all the processing in and he like does your picture That's and he has these like really so great awesome. big strobes that are super bright because it has to be really bright because the lens is like stopped down to like f22 or something it's like really and then the the uh the plate itself when it has a silver collided on it it's like it's like uh iso 0.5 or something it's like really not very sensitive so you have to have hell of like a lot of light um and that it's it's an art form almost beyond photography it's like so yeah. it's so meticulous and, and exacting but it's really really beautiful but that's kind of like in the realm i see large format is kind of like in that realm of like you have to have all these things and you have to be really meticulous and the big ground glass and then like the dark cloth and all that stuff yeah, it's, it's just another world it's like wizardry but i mean like medium format like the detail in medium format is insane Eight by ten mm -hmm. is just bonkers, but even like four by five, like you look at some of these images and it's just—I just think that it's mind blowing. It becomes like an intricate painting. It doesn't look like a photograph at times anymore. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to think about like what the purpose for those kind of like photographs are. And like people ask me, like, oh, why do you even shoot thirty-five millimeter anymore if you shoot medium format? Medium format is so much better. And it's because like thirty-five millimeter is not less than it's it's just as good it's just like a different format people always yeah. talk about how 35 millimeters is too small but everyone also in the same breath will be like oh i gotta get a full frame camera well that's 35 millimeter sensor size it's the same yeah. damn thing like what are you talking yeah. about um and so you know i, I shoot a lot also, of 35 millimeter and it depends on what the end result is what you're trying to achieve right if you're doing a big magazine spread sure go for medium format because the ratio works out really nice for a page uh, and you get a good amount of detail, but then if you're just, if you're not doing something that's going to be looked at from this close, like right up in front of your face, like shoot whatever the hell you want, shoot micro four thirds, it doesn't matter. Like if no one's going to, no one's going to notice. I know amazing photographers out there who've never owned a, uh, um, a full frame camera who make incredible work that I couldn't tell you the difference if I put it next to a full frame image i wouldn't be able to tell which one was which you know yeah i mean look at someone like you know look at someone massive like david bailey like he shot loads of editorial like massive work on 35 yeah. mil he mm -hmm. shot some I, I just finished reading his book um and uh he he went to a job and like there was loads of like <clears throat> guys would turn up with their hasselblads and their rollies and everything else to do these jobs and he turned up one day with a with a half frame camera <laughs> is it the pen and the pen f I can't remember what it was, but they were like, literally like, what are you doing? Like, it's like, this is, this is what I think will work for this. Like mm -hmm. a half frame camera. And they, mm -hmm. they, and he ended up being like a double page spread in a magazine on a half frame camera. See, that's, but, that's that experience. That's that, that uh, confidence of experience to know that you can do whatever you need in a certain situation and get what you want out of it. And that's yeah. kind of like, it's, that's a nice little full circle. <laughs> it's like knowing yeah, what you totally. need. Yeah, and it's the same with like, and that's one of the beauties of film with like film stock, is that you can you can pick and choose your your sort of overall look, whether it's contrast or whatnot, and, and depending mm. on the film stock that you choose. Yeah, like you can buy some really cheap film stock and get some beautiful photos. And on that or same you, note, you can literally take Kodak Gold and make it look like 
Portra, or you can make it look like Pro 400H or vice versa. Yeah. Because if you know what you're doing, if you know how to, the thing that makes the most sense, think that makes that's the most important is making sure that exposure is correct. Because if you do that exposure right, and you can scan that, that negative flat, where all the information is mm. there, you can make that negative look like anything you want. Well, this is what um, I was just about to say. So I think another yeah. thing is that people don't seem to understand that I meant to say this earlier on is that it's also hugely dependent on what lab you take it to. Oh yeah. Like mm -hmm. if you, you go and drop it off and you won't have it there, I'm pretty sure you don't. There's a branch called Snappy Snaps here, which is mm -hmm. a, a franchised, um, franchised um, business. That's like the kind of place that you go and you, you know, you can go and get your passport photo done as well. Um, or you can go and yeah, print out some photographs from your phone type thing. And um, because it's franchised, they're, they're different from place to place. So they do the same processes for whatever else, but some people will be franchised by people that are photographers that really care. Mm -hmm. And other places are just there to make money. And they're convenient because you don't have to set it off to a lab. So like you can go there, drop off your stuff, and you'll get one thing back, go back the next day with the same film, drop it in, and you'll get a completely different look back. Wow. Whereas <laughs> if you if you send it to a pro lab, you can give, you know, I want my scans flat and I want them blah blah blah. They'll scan to your preferences and they'll make it warm, they'll make it cool, they'll do whatever else. Mm -hmm. Like they'll make it neutral. It's entirely up to you. So like film is really tangible at that scanning process at that point. So like it it's not when you see these photographs that are posted on, on YouTube or, or on Instagram and whatnot, it's not like they have taken this picture, dropped off their film, and then this is what's come back. Mm -hmm. there's a huge exactly. process in between oh yeah i mean the first time i saw wedding photographers who do that like light and airy look where everything's pastel and everything's like yeah. really bright um i was like i can do that you know i overexpose my film by two stops and then i can develop it but then you know i do that i overexpose the film i develop it and i'm like huh it doesn't look the same why does it <laughs> look the same and i realized that like no one told me there's this huge in-between where they like got flat scans they brought them home they put them in photoshop they edited the Jesus out of them and then they came up with a look and they put it on top of that film and yep. that's why they got that look um but that goes for any film and it's just yeah. about what you want i mean what's your what's your editing process is it laborious or is it pretty simple no i try to do everything really simply because i hate sitting in front of a computer for too long um, especially yep. editing i do that for for video a lot so it's like i try to minimize it um film process all my film here at home myself and then I scan everything myself um, and then digital I bring all the raws in and I, I do the same workflow for both digital and film they come in flat and raw and then I uh, I just adjust by I just do everything I just by taste so I'll do like if I have one whole roll that I shot of one one shoot that was like one subject I'll I'll do the first image and I'll like get everything kind of like halfway there and then I'll like apply that to all the images yep. and then go in and individually tweak everyone a little bit. Um, That's exactly what I do. Yeah, and for the most part, I just leave it so that all of the images are kind of characteristic of the film, but also, you know, maybe pulling out some extra something that I want to. And then with digital, it's the same thing. Uh, the way Kyle edits his, I guess he made a video about um, how he edits his Fuji files. It's funny. I was watching it and I was like, oh, huh, that's how I edit my Fuji files too. And it's yes. just like cranking it's up funny. the shadows or, you yeah. know, whatever you want to do I to get whatever exactly look. It's like, just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. It's funny. I said to him when he moved here as well that uh, this is funny. I'm going to have to text him after just to say, did we do the podcast? And we just talked about you for about half an hour. Um, <laughs> that I said, when you move to the UK, you might find that like it's because of the, 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 the context of the photographs that you might find that the sort of, um low contrast high shadow look that works great in the states doesn't work here it doesn't lend itself to the to the to the, the settings just because mm -hmm. it can be a bit gnarlier a bit grungier and actually contrast things to work a little bit better as does black mm -hmm. and white mm -hmm. um but again it just it, and also yeah the weather doesn't really lend itself to to no shadows you want shadows <laughs> yeah it's kind of rainy there huh <laughs> oh yeah it's rough yeah but the the, the um I definitely find that like with, with editing, I always used to have this idea that editing was like a slog. Like, and I used to wonder why, why people talk about editing so much. And I would always like sit down ready to like edit. And then I'd be done in five minutes and I'd be like, Oh, like, and that's why I'm like with film now. Like I get my scans back and I'm like, all right. Yeah. Maybe changed, you know, some, <laughs> the, the tonal range of it slightly, the color balance, maybe a little bit. And then I'm like, 
levels in Photoshop maybe a little bit, tweak the black and whites, and I'm like, done. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, again, Kyle said in his video, <laughs> edit the photo as much as you like until you see what you like on the screen, and then you're done. And that's that's the truth. Like, that's how I edit my video, or my edit, my uh, my photos too. It's just like, I'm not, there's no secret magic thing underneath the layers that like people don't see that make your image that much better. You mm. literally just make it look good to you. And if you like what's on screen and that's, what's important is if you have, you have to like it, if you like it, you're done. Don't, don't do more work. If you don't need to, there's no reason to sit there and labor over it. Some people really like the ritual of like editing, but some people want to make sure that their pictures look right. And then they want to be done with it. And that's, and that's what I, want i want to be able to look at my photos later and be like oh, i love this photo and not yeah. remember the crazy laborious you know editing that was went into that photo the people that like do the dodging and burning for hours or people who do the like yeah man. Uh, composites and like the replacing the sky and all that stuff like artists for sure but god i, I couldn't you couldn't pay me to yeah. do that stuff they're not they're not photographers and i think that it's important to get outside of your comfort zone as much as possible as well. Not in terms of just what you're shooting, but what you're looking at. Mm. Like look yeah. at photographers that it's like when you listen to like an album or something the first time you think it sucks. And then you listen to it in a different context. And you're like, this album's actually awesome. Um, right. <laughs> it just happens with photography as well. Like I'll look at a book or I'll look at someone's website and I'll be like, oh, this doesn't do it for me. And then something else will tick a box. And I'll think, I need to go back and look at that website again and read that book again. I'm like, this is now like, it's beautiful. It's brilliant. And then that then changes the way you take photos. And I think it's okay as well. In fact, it's not okay. It's encouraged, I think, to steal. Like, oh, yeah. I think the biggest thing you can do for your photography at any um, level is to just be a student of photographers before you because yeah. you can have the best camera or whatever. You know, you can have whatever camera you want, whatever film stock, whatever. It doesn't matter. What really matters is like, did something grab you and inspire you to do something? Or mm. did you learn something? And I've learned everything I've I've learned that's important of substance just from looking at other photographers' work and, and seeing, you know, like, oh, how do they achieve that? Like, how do they get that light to fall that way? Or how do they yeah. get that your my eye to go in that direction? Like, that's what I that's that's school for me. And so if you can be a student of the past like that, I think that that's what's gonna make you a very successful photographer. I remember going to the National Portrait Gallery in London when they, not the National Portrait Gallery, the Photographer's Gallery in London. Um, and I had my M6 with me. Uh, I don't think I was, I think I was probably just wearing it around the photo gallery. So people would be like, oh, he's quite clearly a photographer. Um, <laughs> but no, I, and I remember, and it was a, it was this woman called Trish Martha, whose work was on. I don't know if you heard of her, she was a UK photographer and she did a lot of like, um, like council estate or uh, what would you, what do you call them there? Um, uh oh it's projects like how's like projects like the projects. oh yeah 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 mm -hmm. so like yeah. there like it's, it's council housing here so like yeah. um uh so they would go into like, the, the uk housing projects and she would take photos in there and it had her actual camera at the end and it was an om1 with a 50 mil lens and i had yeah. that at home and i was like looking at these photos and i had like my m6 around my neck and i was looking at these photos and i was just like this camera, the, cam the camera I have in my house, the exact same setup as this, took these photos, and these are unbelievable. Like, mm -hmm. and it got me so inspired to be like, get back and grab that camera again. Oh yeah, Autumn DeWild's book. Uh, I made a video about this a little while ago. She has a book where she followed Death Cab for Cutie, the band, around on tour, and and when they were recording a record, and she just photographed them. But and you look in the back to see what camera she used, and they're just like. I think one of them was a Pentax K1000. Like it was just like, nice. just, just cameras, nothing specific. She used a Leica, yeah. I think, but it was like, she borrowed a friend's like Leica SLR, but it wasn't even like a rangefinder. It was like some other one. Um, and like, I think it was a, a Polaroid SLX or something. I can't remember what the, but like nothing special or unobtainium yeah. or expensive, just like cameras. And her yeah. work is incredible. Yeah, I think that's just one of the most important things you can learn. Is is and it's a process. So like, it's not as if you know I've got to the mental stage I am with photography without loads of trial and error. It's not like I've got here. I'm just like right. Everyone's an idiot. It's that I've gone through my own process of making horrendous mistakes, and you know I'm I, I I will continue to make horrific mistakes and terrible decisions. I think about things that I even thought about like six months ago, and I'm like, what a moron. Yeah, same. All the time, I'm always like, wow, this is what I used to do. I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's mad, and that's part of the process. But I, I, I think my, yeah, my, my sort of, my, my gripe with um, 
the film photography side of things right now is that there's not enough people on YouTube teaching you about about film. It, it, it's more it's more a sort of um, uh, it's like one of those sort of magic tricks where it's like just ta-da, this is what you can do too. Like you know, it's like you you can do that, but you're missing the entire process and also the learning process about about what's beautiful about film is the trial and error. I think. Yeah, I think well, it's, it's just like a fashion show right now. It's a lot. It's it's fashion. It's what's in. It's what's cool. And I can't fault it because that makes sense. Um, but I think after a while, you'll start to see it equalize where those people who are doing it just for like the social media aspect, they'll start to dip a little bit. And the people who are doing it, who are lifting people up and who are helping people, you'll see yeah. it kind of equalize, I think. Um, but on that note, I actually have to get going. <laughs> so do I. That is perfect yeah. timing. I have to do exactly the same timing. thing. I've, yeah. got, um, I've got risotto to go and eat and a child to go and get <sighs> sleep. That sounds good. Yeah, I got to eat. I got to eat too. My girlfriend's been hiding in my room because um, she doesn't want to bother me. But I feel really bad because she's probably hungry as I am. So <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a teetotal vegan. So I'm like the most fake Scottish guy nice. in the world. No, that's great. Uh, power to you, man. I got to start eating healthy, so I, I, uh, it's good to see you doing that. That's <laughs> all right. You know, I spend the majority of my life drinking myself to death. So, like, you know, the least I can do is, you know, have some broccoli. Yeah, you're making up for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> dude, awesome. it was a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, it's great. Thanks a lot for having me, man. No worries. Speak to you soon, dude. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.